We are now in times here in the United States where racial tension between citizens versus police officers is at an all-time high since the civil rights era. We're at a time here that a routine traffic stop can get life taken or life changed forever. We're at a time here now in the United States that our friends, the police officers, that are there to serve and to protect is now hated just for wearing their uniforms of their employment. We are now at a time that we look at police officers as our enemies. We are at a time now that the bad guys don't run from the police officers. The bad guys use force against the police officers to help the police officer to retaliate. We're at a time here now that we don't know who started good or who is the bad. We're at a time here in the United States. A $10 million wrongful death lawsuit have been filed against the city of Dearborn, Michigan over the fatal shooting of a woman who was gunned down by police outside the Fairlane Town Mall in the city of Dearborn, Michigan. Alleging that officers who shot her had a history of using excessive force and worked for the city that turned a blind eye to abusive police tactics. Police have said the woman, a 31-year-old Detroit lady by the name of Janet Wilson, tried to run over an officer with her car. But a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court caused the January shooting unjust, alleging officers stormed her vehicles with guns drawn and opened fire on an unarmed woman who posed no threat to anyone. She was shot in the chest and the arm multiple times. Her death initially was ruled a homicide, but no officer was criminally charged. According to the lawsuits, the officers who fired the fatal shots is James Ward, who has been disciplinary multiple times before the day he allegedly fired four shots on Wilson after she left the mall. June the 2nd of 2015, he was suspended for six months. March 26, 2015, he was recommended for improper use of force at the city of Dearborn Mutual Building. April 1, 2012, he was involved in an incident involving overly aggressiveness on vehicles, chase tactics. The city of Dearborn declined comment on the lawsuits. Nothing has not yet been served 
with the suit. Officer Ward, who is also named defendant in the lawsuit, is on paid administration leave. While the incidents remain under investigation, this third took place in the year of 2015. At this time, this podcast host just happened to live in the city of Dearborn, Michigan. Wilson's death marked the second fatal shouting by the Dearborn police officers in less than two months. That officer is also on paid administration leave. According to the lawsuit, Wilson was shot January 27 at the mall security reported a disorderly mental female to the Dearborn, Michigan Police Dispatch Union. After leaving the mall parking lot, the lawsuit claims a brief police chase followed. It ended with officers storming Wilson vehicles with weapons drones pointing the gun in her directions while yelling at her before one officer fired off four rounds, killing her. The family hired a civil rights attorney who filed the lawsuit August the 4th on behalf of the victim family has tried to obtain the dash cam video footage of the incidents. The city of Dearborn has refused to release it. He said that such a fragile time in community relations with law enforcement, any city would refuse the opportunities for transparency. The city of Dearborn has not filed a response to the lawsuit. City officials were not available for comments this morning. Police have previously said that while Wilson was not armed with a gun, she was armed with a three-ton vehicle, therefore posed a threat to the officers. According to Michigan State Police, which investigated the incident, here is what happened. At around 4.10 p.m. at J.C. Penney's department store, located inside of the Fairlane Mall in Dearborn, Michigan. Securities were alerted about a woman who was acting erratically, behaving very weird and strange. When security arrived, she became competitive. She didn't listen to the security. It was shouting between her and the security officer in a fairly mall parking lot. She drove off once entered her car in a mall parking lot. She considered fleeing the mall parking lot in a black Chevrolet. A brief police chase pursued it. I lived in Michigan at the time, in the city of Dearborn. They said she entered the Southfield Freeway, some people call it I think M39. Now take you from the city of Dearborn on the outskirts of Detroit, Michigan. And that's what she was trying to return to Detroit, Michigan. She was chased by the Dearborn City Police and Michigan State Troopers. When she noticed the police was behind her, she exited the freeway and tried to take side streets from Dearborn to the city of Detroit. But the police was faster than her. 
and even the hair blocked off. She stopped the vehicle, the black Chevrolet she was driving. As the article reads, she stayed inside the vehicle. The, ve the vehicle was not moving. The officer shouted commands to her. The vehicle was not moving. She was unresponsive. Right then, four rounds were shot into her vehicle, hitting her, striking her, and eventually killing her. The shooting triggered a public outcry. I'm an African-American activist. The Reverend Al Sharpton visit the city of Dearborn, Michigan in protest. White officers on an African-American black who urged that Dearborn police have long allowed its police department to engage in aggressive tactics, particularly in cases involving African-Americans. Wilson was African-American. The officer who shot her was white. One month before Wilson was killed, another African-American, Kevin Matthews, 35 years old, was shot multiple times by the Dearborn officers after struggling with the suspect. Police have said that Matthews was unarmed warning on probation violations, warrants, and suspected in a larceny. Matthew family members have said that Matthew was mentally ill and described him as a gentle man, despite having fleeing from police and having struggled with the officers trying to arrest him. It didn't seem like he was Not a threat. If I wrestle with a police officer or anyone out in the streets, I am sure I am capable to defend myself. I am sure I can be aggressive. I am not sure I am not a threat. I am sure the opposite. Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Michael Shaw has rebirthed claims that police are targeting African-Americans in the city of Dearborn. I think it's important to say that yes, there's colors involved. To take a look at it and say it's a black-white issues, it's ridiculous, he said. We have a family that lost a loved one. They are not going to get her back. With a police officer who have taken someone's life, he's going to have to deal with that for the rest of his life. Both lives was changed. The murder victim and the officer family. It doesn't matter what color you are. To say law enforcement is targeting black people by targeting practice is ridiculous. Dearborn police have previously expressed concern over the shooting, stating, The Dearborn Police Department is deeply saddened by the two officers involved 
fatal shooting incidents that occurred. While we are very proud of our long history of civil rights, as well as our history of appropriate use of force, we will closely examine all of our policies and procedures to ensure that we are employing the latest training and following national best practices and all our responsibilities to our communities and anyone visiting the city of Dearborn, Michigan. December 3rd, 2020, Dearborn police officer who shot a suspect takes his own life. The chief of police called his death a tragic. A 33-year-old police officer took his life late last month, shooting himself in the head. The Wayne County Medical Examiner ruled this week. Christopher Hampton's body was found on the 25th of November of 2020 near the Southfield Freeway in Michigan Avenue. A 10-year vet of the Dearborn Police Department, the officer has been cleared of fatally shooting 35-year-old Kevin Matthews five years ago but still faced a civil lawsuit. Kevin Matthews, officer that he was struggling with that took his life, committed suicide five years following. Police Chief of Dearborn, Michigan called Hampton death a tragic situation. Hampton was involved in a $10 million wrongful death lawsuit against the city in which the judge ruled last year there was enough doubt about the police explanations for the shooting for the case to be go to trial. According to police accounts, Matthew stood over Hampton in a driveway, pulled the ammunition magazine from the officer belt, which was next to his firearm. The officer still on his back shot nine times killing Matthews. How the suicide would affect the civil lawsuit is unclear. But Hampton Duff certainly focuses attention on mental health concern, especially among law enforcement officers. Police officers go through a lot of stress. Every day they go through a different situation with different personalities, with different worries and different fears. Some police officers just have nerves breakdowns. And can't take it anymore. They're not being paid what they should be paid. They're here to serve and protect us. I know police officers that live paycheck to paycheck. They should get hazardous pay. They should get hazardous pay just to put on the uniform. They should get hazardous pay. Just to put their belt on with their gun. They should get hazardous pay. Just to get their assignments for the day. 
none of them are bulletproof. None of them are superheroes. They're unsung heroes. Unsung heroes. They're people, fathers and brothers, and best friends, sisters, mothers and wives, and neighbors, and friends. I am not making excuses up for these murders, these shootings in Dearborn, Michigan. I first went to Dearborn, Michigan, and I think it was 1984. It was a very heavy urban population city. If you're not from the Midwest, you don't very, really know anything about Dearborn, Michigan. But Dearborn, Michigan was the Wayne County racist city. Before it became the urban community of the United States, it was a very racist white city. And the mayor of Dearborn, Michigan swore he was going to keep Dearborn, Michigan white. And at the time, he said no niggers will be allowed in Dearborn, Michigan. And that racist reputation of Dearborn was carried on from generation after generation after generation. So when things happen in Dearborn, Michigan, it's looked at as being... Oh, it's Dearborn. They never liked blacks there. I am not making excuses up for, for the city of Dearborn, Michigan. I'm not making excuses up for anyone. I lived in Dearborn. I walked the streets of Dearborn. Michigan Avenue, Greenfield, Schaefer, Warren, Chase. I know the city. I know the people. A lot of people go to Fairlane Malls to steal. A lot of malls, like the, the mall of the, um, African Americans, our blacks usually shop at Northland Mall that was in Southland Michigan. Became the uh, ghetto of malls, so they shut it down while I was still living in Michigan. So all that black traffic went down to Dearborn, Michigan, Fairlane Mall. And they kept their habits. They ran buses down there, so they helped mall security in Dearborn, Michigan, Fairlane Mall. Watch the people at the bus stop because one minute you sit at the bus stop and the next minute the same people who are sitting next to each other and standing there fighting. So they have very police, have very heavy police present, especially after the Northland Mall shut down. And a lot of people don't go to the malls because that's where the um, young people, they stand outside the doors. And you don't want to walk past someone that young standing by doors because you don't know what they're up to. And a lot of people don't like going to malls when they see people from the inner city going there because they feel it's going to be a lot of fighting, maybe shooting and robberies. And that's when malls start declining. I know the Fairlane Mall was declining when I was there. They were talking about the sales they was losing. Because it was like the black flight into Fairlane Malls. So the Arabics and the whites was going someplace else to shop. I know a lot of people who was Arabic and Dearborn they had money. They would shop at the Somerset Collection, a very exclusive mall in the Detroit, Michigan area. And that's Oakland County, so that's kind of far away. But you don't want to go to a mall and feel, I'm going to pull money or a credit card out and get robbed for what I'm using. I thought I used my money on my credit card. You don't want to go to a store and say, I'm taking a chance of getting robbed. So why go to that store? You find different places to go. I'm not making excuses up for the city of Dearborn, Michigan. I'm not making excuses up for police officers. I'm just saying these stories, you have to look in depth. In depth to these stories. Okay, we know the... um. Old saying, 
Blacks are going to be rowdy and ghetto. Whites going to be more proper. Unfortunately, nine out of ten cases, that's true. Nine out of ten cases, that's true. I right now would feel more comfortable in 2021. Going to the Fallen Timber Mall in Miami, Ohio. With everyone there with black hair and blue eyes besides me. I might get looked at. But I'm not going to get robbed. Then going to the Franklin Mall in Toledo, Ohio. Where everyone is black. Because you don't know what they're thinking. You know they're looking at you for a reason. If they ask you, do you know him? Have you saw him before? It's just a way of life. It always helped in that way. Where whites are at is safety. The police are laid back and relaxed. And where blacks are at, police are looking for a fight. Because that's what the community wants. Toughness. You can't take a suburb cop and put them in the inner city and say, police them. They eat them up. Inner city cops are a whole lot tougher than suburb cops. Because they see this every day. It's nothing new to them. It's the server cops that cannot handle it. I know you're saying, well, you're making excuses up for the white cops shooting the blacks. I'm not making excuses up at all. Look into the story. The police is, is rough on whites also. It was a white man stopped driving a pickup truck just the other day. I didn't see it. I didn't research it. I didn't even read about it. Because it didn't make the news. Because the white officer on a white pedestrian. It don't make the news. But when it's a white officer on a black pedestrian, it make the news. It make the news. I right now get into my Chrysler 300C and a police officer turned his lights on and followed me and I let him know that Chrysler 300C that I am, I am driving have a Hemi it's a V8 and I'll challenge you any day of the week I'll make him chase me I'll make him catch me I'm breaking all the traffic laws he's driving behind me fast as he can but very cautious not to get into a crash or hit someone. The first thing the officer is saying is he's feeding for a reason. He's feeding for a reason. And the first thing the officer will say is I read your license plates. I know who the car is registered to. But I don't know you. Because you just have a car registered to someone else don't mean you are that person. Think. Open your mind up and think. When people talk about serial killers and people who just murder people and go from state to state killing people, the psychologists, clinical psychologists and FBI profilers will say it's a middle class white man who work a blue collar job Maybe a loner. Never been into a real relationship that was worth anything. 
He held let me tell no friends at all. But this next story is about the most prolific serial killer that we know of in the United States history. This is straight from Fox 2 News, Detroit. Convicted killer Samuel Little. Los Angeles, California. The man in 30 said was the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history with nearly 60 confirmed victims that Wednesday in California, officials said. Mr. Little, Samuel Little was 80 years old. Samuel Little had diabetes, heart trouble, and other ailments. That in a California hospital, he was serving a life sentence for multiple counts of murder. California Correction Department spokeswoman Vicki Waters said there was no signal of foul play and his cause of death will be determined by a coroner. A career criminal who have been in and out of jail for decades. Mr. Samuel Little denied for years he ever killed anyone. Then in 2018, he opened up to Texas Ranger James Holland, who had been asked to question him about the killing. It turned out Mr. Little didn't commit. During approximately 700 hours of interviews, however, Little provided details of scores of slains only the killer would know. A skilled artist, he even provided Mr. Hollins with dozens of paintings and drawings of his victims, sometimes scribbling their names when he could remember them, as well as details such as the year and locations only the murderer would know, and where he dumped the bodies. By the time of his death, Mr. Littles confessed to ne killing nearly 93 people between the year of 1970 and 2005. Most of the slayings took place in Florida and Southern California. Authorities who continue to investigate his claim said they have confirmed nearly 60 killings and have no reason to doubt the others. Nothing he ever, ever said have been proven to be wrong or false. Mr. Hollins told CBS News Magazine 60 Minutes in 2019. Almost all of Mr. Vic Little's victims was women, many of them prostitutes, drug addicts, or poor people living on the edges of societies. They were individuals he said he believed would leave few people he had to look for them and not much evidence for the police to follow. Indeed, local authorities in states across the country initially classified many of the deaths as accidental drug overdose or the results of unknown causes. Little strangled most of his victims, usually soon after meeting them. During chance encounters, he drowned one woman he met at a nightclub in 1982. He was nearly 80 and in failing health and serving a life sentence in California prison when he began confessing to Mr. Holland in May of 2018. After years of refusing to talk to other authorities, was a strong 
scrapping boxers who used his powerful hands to strangle his victims. He was now using a wheelchair to get around. Holland described Little as being a genius and a psychopath. Eddie the killer could never explain to him why he did what he did. Although known as an interpreter, interrogator, Mr. Holland himself said he could only guess at why Mr. Little opened up to him. The ranger did terrorists to create and maintain a bond with the killer during their hundreds of hours of interviews, bringing him favorite snacks such as pizza and Dr. Pepper and grits and discussing their mutual interest in sports. He also gave little insurance that he wouldn't be executed. Mr. Hollins would address Mr. Little by his childhood nickname, Sammy. What a beautiful name for a monster. While Mr. Little called Mr. Holland Jimmy and once told the Los Angeles time he felt a friend in a Texas Ranger. He told 60 Minutes he hoped his confession might help someone who was wrongly convicted for some of the murders he committed. I say I can help get someone out of jail, you know, then God might smile a little bit more on me. It was like drugs, he told Mr. Holland. I can't tell like it. His last killing was 2005, he said, in Mississippi. He also killed people in Tennessee, Texas, Ohio, Kentucky, Nevada, Arkansas, and other states. Kentucky and Dorothy finally caught up with him in 2012. He was arrested on drug charges, and his DNA linked him to three California killings. When he began recounting the other slains, authority was astounded at how much he remembered his paintings. They said indicated he had a photographic memory. One killing was solved after Mr. Little recalled. The victim wore dentures. Another after he told Mr. Holland he killed the victim near a set of unusual looking arches in Florida. A victim he met outside a Miami strip club in 1984 was remembered being 25 years old with short blonde hair and blue eyes and looked hippie-like. As he continued to talk, authority across the country rushed to investigate old cases, track down relatives, and bring closest to families. Mr. Little revealed few details about his own life, other than he was raised in Ohio by his grandmother, 
Authorities say he often went by the name of Samuel McDowell. He married once Mr. Little and involved in two long-term relationships. He claimed he developed fetishes for women's necks after being coming sexual aroused when he saw his kindergarten teacher touch her neck. He was also careful, he added, to avoid looking at the necks of his wives and his girlfriends and never hurt anyone he loved. I don't think there was another person who did what I'd like to do, he told 60 Minutes. I think I'm the only one in the world, and that's not an honor. That's a curse. Serial killers. Police shootings. Citizens against police. What is this society coming to? What is this world we live in became?